everyone. This is John Lee, your local real estate agent here in the greater Philadelphia, Philadelphia area. I'm here with Donnie Cho, a true mentor of mine, a spiritual mentor of mine. Um, man, we just go way back. But for our listeners, yeah, for our listeners, Donnie, tell me about yourself and, and what you do. Yeah, um, my name is Donnie Cho. I'm <clears throat> currently the lead pastor of a, of a family of churches called uh, Metro. Uh, we're based in Philadelphia, launched in East Falls in 2012. We have a second site that we just launched in 2019, praying through a number of third and fourth sites um, and trying to kind of figure out where we're going with all of this right now. Um, I was a bivocational minister for close to 10 years, um, working at Johnson & Johnson for most of those years as um, just in a business, business marketing technology leadership uh, there. And... Um, yeah, it was it was one of those things. Um, one thing kind of fed into the other as I was leading in the business space um, that helped to pay the bills and um, and support um, me and my family so that every dollar that we made uh, that came in uh, could help to fulfill the vision that we had uh, for Metro as a church and as a family of churches. So um, Lord's really provided a lot and uh, just grateful to be here. Yeah, this is so awesome. I mean, we could spend hours talking about what you do and how you help the community. Um, but for our listeners, if you can just go way back to, you know, your upbringing, right, from your your life as a child to now, what is your what is your story, Donnie? Yeah, I mean, long story short, you know, um, my my parents were probably one of the earlier immigrants into, into the United States. They resided in Philadelphia. My father was an engineer recruited here in the United States. My mother was a nurse uh, and, a, and a teacher in a nursing college in, 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 uh, in Korea. Um, and uh, it was really supposed to be a short stint uh, here in the United States. Um, my father was unfortunately murdered. We lived right off of, gosh, I, I mean, probably closer to Temple University in my childhood, uh, my early, early childhood. Um, I still have memories of the place in the area, but he was shot and murdered after a mugging incident that happened um, probably a, a little while prior to that. The person um, uh, was uh, sentenced uh, for at least life in prison without parole, um, but on death row. Um, and uh, there's been a lot of commotion, actually, in the last couple of years around that one particular trial. Um, but, um, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, he, currently in, in, the, in there's a whole racial divide in the city. And um, with uh, the DA trying to retry cases that had taken place years ago, where racism potentially could have been involved. And so, um, that trial was actually retried uh, several years ago, right before COVID hit. And oh, um, again, we, it, it kind of threw our family for a loop, but because um, he was a very dangerous man. But um, in actuality, uh, you know, we won the trial again, uh, and um, it, it, you know, so uh, that that was an interesting uh, kind of uh, turn of events for our family. But you know, that uh, it kind of brought us all the way back. Um, you know, after we we resided in Philadelphia, my mom gave up her career as a nurse to raise her children. Um, essentially, we I grew up in Phil, in the Philadelphia area. I, I uh, went to Plymouth White Marsh High School, um, lived on Fifth Street, where most Koreans lived during that era uh, as well. Um, my mother eventually, after I graduated high school, moved to the uh, moved to South Jersey, and um, during that period of time, I was I was you know in the summertime because we didn't have we didn't do a lot as a family in the summertime except go to church. Um, not a whole lot of vacations. I mean, my mom was pretty much working um, a full-time job, building a business, just trying to keep her family alive, I suppose. 
Um, but she sent me to a camp as a child. Um, it was a Bible camp called Pioneers for Christ. I grew up at the camp since the age of seven, uh, I think the age of seven or eight. And I grew up all the way through into high school and so on and so forth. Into college, I served there as a counselor, eventually became one of the directors of the camp, and then eventually became the executive director uh, as a formalized 501c3 nonprofit. And um, yeah, you know, technically it's still running. Um, right now we're going through a lot of changes. COVID kind of um, put a damper on the entire project. But up until that point, I mean, we were really in our golden years during that period. Um, all the while I was studying in Boston. Um, I went to college in Boston, went to grad school in Boston, went to, um, was working in Boston, felt the call to come back, you know, to Philadelphia. I just always loved the city. Um, and I had a really newfound uh, just love for the city uh, as it became more faithful as a Christian um, and in the church had my first taste of church planting um, when I left a church that I was at for almost 10 years in Boston uh, to join a church plant in the PCA, um, which is the Presbyterian denomination, conservative Presbyterian denomination. There, um, you know, really, really fell in love with the whole church planting model, came back to Philadelphia, was working, was going to go to law school, um, but decided not to go to law school. I, 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 got in, I think I got into two out of three schools. I was waiting on the third. I think that's how it was. And then, um, and um, during that time, I think just providentially, I came across a ton of people that it was very clear to me I shouldn't go to law school. And so uh, I deferred for a year. Then I decided not to go altogether. And there I am, you know, now consulting in business. Um, and um, I started attending school just, just to learn. Um, and that was pretty much a, a small seminary program um, uh, that was... Um, you know, reformed in education and in, in doctrine. And then somehow the Lord kind of led me into ministry. Uh, and that's kind of where I am today. Dude, this is so awesome. Like most people don't know the whole backdrop of everything. I mean, I even briefly know like tidbits of it because uh, me being a camp member of PFC, I still remember like the talks of it. Like you're kind of keeping it on the hush hush. Like, hey, <laughs> we're starting a church we're starting a church and um you know you go from 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 being in a corporate setting right you you're you're going from a corporate setting to uh you know being a, a leader of a of a you know a camp ministry right and then now obviously a church like tell me how do you balance all those things and how do you uh, like how do you live life and you're a father great now. question yeah, you know, I recently, uh, you know, we got married somewhere in, in as Metro, before Metro uh, was planted, um, I got married in 2010. Right. And um, just happily married. Um, and we recently had a child, you know, um, kind of on a personal note, you know, my wife and I probably experienced four bouts of miscarriages during that period. Um, we lost probably a total of seven or eight children. And it was bewildering for me. I mean, I ran a camp that probably had thousands of kids that ran through the camp. And all of them, I just absolutely love. I mean, I love the experience that we have there. And I, I actually really miss running camp these days. But um, we didn't have any children of our own. And, um, you know, we gave up pretty much a couple years uh, prior to my son actually being born. Um, and then, of course, we decided to give it one more shot. Um, and, you know, my wife uh, got pregnant with David. And um, and that's, that's uh, I guess, kind of the... The beginning of that story, I guess, at the end of that chapter, the beginning of a new chapter. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, 
super busy. COVID also made things incredibly more complex. Right. Um, the way I've kind of handled things was, you know, knowing I do a lot of, I did a lot of work on both ends and, um, you know, trying to establish appropriate rest rhythms in my life took a long time, you know, but I have really, really dedicated rest rhythms in my life, um, where I just worship personally, um, really keep up with my own personal character in life. Um, you have to rest well. Um, so I spend a tremendous amount of time with family every night. Um, but, you know, I also dedicate time for work throughout the day. I work a very, very full day every day. When I was working two jobs, you know, um, the days were just a little bit longer. But I still, that was part of my son really being born. And my wife had, she could shift. And so we we made it work. Um, we made sure that we had date nights every week. We were, I'm actually more religious about that than she is sometimes. Um, but, you know, those kind of things, you got to, you got to maintain the pillars in your life that are really, really important. And I, and people, when people ask me, how do you manage your time? I generally wake up, I, I, you know, even before I go to bed, I have, you know, four goals for the next day that are non-negotiable and, um, and they're, but they have to be achievable. And, um, you know, they're usually at, at the professional level. So in ministry or at the professional level. And then you also have, you know, personal goals that you have, you know, things that you want to just do as a family or personally. And you have to make sure that there is incredible balance there. If any of those things, if you if you work when you should be resting and if you're resting when you should be working, life gets thrown out of balance. Uh, the Bible speaks about that everywhere. And um, and I think um, part of part of just the discipline of, of 48 years of life is you learn what's important in life and you're led by your values. And I, I feel like just... In our conversation, you yourself has been, that, that's essentially what I hear you saying. And, you know, for me personally, it took a while to get to a place where I really recognize and and hold fast to the things that I value most and I pursue it. Right. Um, and so, and you'll find a time afforded to you. Yeah, dude, Donnie, that's so encouraging. I know <clears throat> one of the things that uh, you might not even know that I know is that during the COVID period of time, um, one thing I've noticed with Metro is that they're extremely innovative, right? Um, I know that like even during PFC days, you guys were always trying to think like forward, right? Like forward thinking, right? Um, one of the thing that one of the things that I thought was truly encouraging was when you guys were posting your uh, sermons online, you were doing a lot of social media content. Like this was in preparation of COVID and during COVID. And then from what I heard, um, overheard from other people is that by the time, you know, COVID kind of settled, membership just started to, to, to increase. And, um, I use that focal point, um, even in, even, even in my community, in my church and saying, Hey, like, listen, guys, like, let's not make COVID an excuse, right. On why we having our, these issues. Like if we use COVID as an excuse, then it stops right? Like there's no solution, right? It just stops. But if we yeah. ask, how can we do it? How can we get better? It continues, right? And then our train of thought actually becomes more progressive, if that makes any sense, right? That's so, right. I mean, can you elaborate on that? Like how you think <clears throat> and, and, and what your thought process was? I mean, that's just yeah. a small example, but very innovative. That's really keen, I think, on your end. I can tell you from two perspectives. One, being a professional, because I was still at J&J &J at the time. 
Right. And I can tell you how we thought there, and I could tell you how we were uh, at, at church as well. And I'll start with church because, you know, that's where my heart was. And, you know, when COVID hit, nobody knew what to expect. You know, I, I'll tell you a stupid story. We had we had a, a church-wide retreat. That was probably going to be our biggest church-wide retreat ever. Um, and it was planned for that May. Right. And we all knew that COVID was going to go a long time. But I still kept the dates of the retreat and the deposit and everything as if, like, it was just going to end miraculously in, like, eight weeks and we could just do this <laughs> retreat. I mean, you look back on that. How foolish was that, right? But everybody had this inner hope that it was just going to go away. Uh-huh. And there was no way that it was, people were dying by the by the hundreds of thousands, and we just knew that this was going to take a long, long time to work out. Right. And so, at some point in April, we we kind of woke up, and it was very, very early on. I needed about three weeks, I think, to kind of reorient like what's going on in the world. Right. But right around April, our team got together and we said, "Look, the most important thing that we got to do right now as a church is just care for our people." We got to preach and worship faithfully and figure out a way where they can still worship faithfully. Right. I read stuff from Francis Grimke, um, who's a reformed um, Presbyterian uh, minister in the 1900s when the Spanish flu hit. Martin Luther, when he was living through the plague, I was digging up all sorts of stuff and how they viewed pandemics and when they hit, what did they teach about worship and how did they care for their people? And so one, th- one of the conclusions that I made was, you know, I wasn't even thinking about numbers. For me, it was more, let's just hope that people stay alive because <laughs> we weren't sure what this was. Yeah. And yeah. secondly, th- let's just reach them and, and give them, just encourage them, strengthen them because they're going to be either bored out of their mind or and, and stir crazy or they're going to be nervous and scared and they got children and they don't know what to do. My son was born right at the start of COVID, March 28th. So about two weeks into the lockdown. And so... um. We said, hey, we're going to double down on just caring for people and let's have fun with this. And that's what we did. We, we formed a team and the team went buck wild and they just had so much fun thinking of ways that we can really engage our community online, you know, because that's the one thing everybody was doing. And um, and the other part was then on the pastor front with we mobilized um, our congregation to really just reach out and just love and care for people. And. <laughs> Um, that's one thing that our church, you know, we're, we're, I think we're a pretty hospitable team and, and, and right. people and people we're known for just having a lot of warm people in our congregation. So people just jumped all over that. And I think when you put the two together and we said, you know what, one thing we could do is we could take this time to regroup and strategize. So while all that was going on in the front, our pastoral team and our directors in the background, we just planned for, hey, we have a free year because mm-hmm. we're not using the building we're not let's just take that year to really focus on what the future could look like for the church mm-hmm. and so that was in many ways for me god's god's a godsend because i was so busy i never had the time to stop and really strategize with a whole team of people over a long period of time i felt like we were on like a half a year retreat together just figuring out where god is leading us and calling us and that's what that's what we did and um one by one all the pieces start to fall in place God was starting to pave ways and open doors for people to really step in there and really just kind of push this thing forward. When when the lockdown started to come to an end, I was like scared. I was like, it's so weird having people back in the congregation again. Right. Are they even going to come back? And when we opened the doors, it was like, we. I think we doubled the size of our congregation in a matter of like three or four months. And currently we stand, we have about 400 people, total congregation, over two sites um and you know looking at it, we were probably a third of that size 
um, at the time when, when the lockdown happened. And so, yeah, you know, I'll say that on the professional front, it was very similar, you know, at J&J, we, we gave, the first thing they did was they said, we just want to make sure our people are okay. And so they gave us two weeks, pretty much a free two week vacation, essentially, to just care for your family and set the right rhythms in place. And, you know, if you have to take a meeting, do it, but we want you to know that you have time and you have freedom to go and check on your family and make things work. If you're going to work from home now and you have a newborn, you got to figure out how that rhythm is going to look. So right. the first two weeks was filled with that. And then we said as a, as a, a team of leaders, let's not look back. You know, we've been talking about e-commerce and social commerce for the last two and a half years. Now we have to do it. And let's never look back. Let's make it so good that people never go walk into a store ever again, you know? And that's pretty much what I said to our team, you know, um, at, at Metro. I said, let's do what we do so well that people will forget what it was like to even come into a building. So that if we ever open up a building again, we now have three congregations. We have an online congregation, a Cherry Hall congregation, and and a, and the main congregation in East Falls. And that's how it is today. I mean, our online congregation matches almost our second site in terms of numbers. Yeah, dude, it's so encouraging because um, I personally, I haven't watched like an entire sermon because obviously I'm going to my church, but right. I've seen videos and content put out and it looks like it looks like ticker symbols, like CNN. <laughs> Is that right? I don't even, I, to be honest, I don't even watch it myself. So yeah, dude, I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I don't know who you got on the back end, but uh, I would love to have them at our church because uh, yeah. that, that, I was like, wow, like we're, we're, I'm looking at some stocks or something, like updates are coming <laughs> in and like, it was really, it was really neat. And um, I mean, I'm sure again, you might want to not, you probably won't credit, like that was the reason why um, people are, you know, coming and, you know, serving at the church, but a big part of that was preparation. Like you guys doubled down on that. And that was something yeah. that was bold. That was something that was brave. And, um, you know, while a lot of churches are struggling with numbers, yours obviously thrive because again, a big part of that was preparation and also just understanding on how you can make a situation that looks bad, actually even better for you guys. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's, you know, every once in a while you, you're living in, you realize at some point you're living in a particular moment and um, you can do several things in that moment. You know, you can stop and just kind of see what everybody else is doing. I think in our culture, I think we do a lot of that. We do a lot of just kind of looking around, seeing what other people are doing and people are afraid to make a move. I think culturally we're, we're raised in a culture of shame and fear, um, especially as Asians. Um, there's a lot of that kind of elderly shame and fear that's kind of impressed on on younger people. And so you're afraid to make a mistake. And, <clears throat> you know, at our church, we're filled with people who've been away from the church for a long time. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the baggage of like, this is how it has to be done, you know, and you're kind of free from that. And so, they, you know, I'm allowed to make a mistake, you know, uh, you know, your pastor is going to make mistakes. And um, and we, we want to, we believe that the church is a, is a hospital for sinners and, and a muse, not a museum for saints. We say that all the time, but in terms of our body language, our emotional body language, we don't always operate that way. But in our church, that's something that we're very vigilant about because, you know, we really believe that, 
Um, we value the people who are in our church and um and a lot of them have been away from they just been they don't I mean, nowadays we're getting a lot of non-believers into our church mm -hmm. people are just exploring what is faith what does it even mean to be a christian and i don't really know i've never been in a church before and so um that sensitivity has to be there and you know one of the things that we we figured was hey we need to we need to um there's no way that they're going to be walking into a building so we have to do this well um and and reach them where they are and still provide an, a beacon of light where people can go and say hey you know this may not be ideal but this is what god is giving us in this moment and i think you know real leaders will kind of stand to that and say well what, is, what am i called to in this particular moment to be or to do now like that's all led by, you know, you're not, you're not just kind of sitting around there and just kind of, you know, you know, throwing darts at a dartboard. I mean, mm -hmm. God's kind of raised you up a certain way um, and he's guiding you through his word. Um, and so you're not just kind of willy nilly making choices. Um, these are strategic decisions that you make because that's where God has placed you, you know, and he's leading you through his word. And he's, I got a, I got an amazing group of people around me that um, make sure that, you know, even though we're allowed to make mistakes, they they want to do their best to make sure that, hey, we're walking together on this. And so um, and I'm sure you have elders in your church that are really faithful. I mean, I, you know, we treasure our leaders um, at Metro. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it you know, it, it would turn something that was really, really hard and it was super hard. I, I don't want to underscore how difficult it was. 2020 was probably one of the most difficult years of my life. To be honest, 2021 was more confusing for me because. Mm -hmm. The things about things about trial and, and trouble and hardship, and you probably resonate with this, it makes you focus. But one thing once things start to lift, it's kind of like now what? You know, what are we supposed to do now? Yeah. You know, hey, like stores are opening up again. And so what are we supposed to do? And so I think 2021 was a bit harder for me to really, really like focus and figure out where we're going with this. But um, you know like again i think there's just been a lot of, of grace afforded to me and you know i'm one of, i'm not the i wouldn't say i'm the most courageous guy i don't i don't think i'm the the brightest guy i don't think i'm the the tallest or the best looking guy or the best speaker in the world but i think the lord um you know shows a lot of pity on me and in many ways and he's really just afforded a lot of grace there mm -hmm. yeah and uh we're just going to wrap up here with like two more questions uh so uh the second to last question uh, for someone that is coming to your church or for someone that is either uh, trying to understand more about God or Jesus, right, or someone who might have had a relationship with God or Jesus, right, and is looking to kind of seek God, right, um, what are your suggestions uh, for, for that individual? Yeah, you know, um, I think that, you know, we live in a world that's highly... Um, you know, you hear the pluralistic, you know, um, nowadays, you know, walking into a church is not the first thing you consider doing, you know, when you're, when you're spiritually, when you feel off and personally or something like that, mm -hmm. you're more likely to see a therapist or something like that. Right. So, um, I think any type of exploration that you do about matters of faith, um, I think, you know, it's a, it's a courageous step. And I think plugging it, number one, I think, plugging into a community of people um, that really values um, the gospel, that really values God's word, and that really stands on consistent, consistent theological, you know, pillars. I think that's a, that's really important. Now, how do you know that if you haven't seen any of these things? Well, 
there must be people that you really admire and that you really look up to. And I would say the first step would be to go to them and say, hey, where, where, where's a good place for me to go? You know, and don't just go for a couple of weeks, go for go for six months, you know, mm-hmm. be faithful, consistent and listen to what's what's going on there and be around the people. It takes a community. And I think the combination of corporate worship, um, which is vital Although not sufficient, it's vital for a person in, in who's exploring and wanting to encounter God, right? Corporate worship, um, a steady diet of community where you're plugging in on matters of faith, not just hanging out socially, but really, really wanting to understand and know, um, you know, I think, I think who Jesus is, what did he come to do? What's this person, his work? When you put those two things together and you're, in, and you're immersed in that for six months, I think a lot of things change. And I think so. So I think, you know, one not being afraid of exploring, and saying, "Hey, I, I just don't have it together. I just don't know." I think that's like the biggest step you could take. And the second thing would be, who are some people that I can listen to to hear what what the next steps for me would be, you know, in terms of plugging into a place and just doing that. Then the third thing would be just do that for six months. Don't do it for like two weeks. Yeah, you know, we're talking about something that's going to transform. Give it a chance. Give, Give it, it a, a chance. long chance. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And, you know, you know, I think, I think that makes a big, big difference. It's transformational. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And lastly, Donnie, for your plug, right? Where can our listeners find you and find the church? Oh man. Um, I think we have, uh, our church is right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. If you go, well, actually, if you go to, um, metrophilly.org, our yeah. website, um, I know that we have, um, link outs to YouTube and Facebook for all of our worship services. I think if you get on Spotify, um, you know, Metro is the name of our church. So Metro Sunday Sermons or Metro Sermons, like, like, um, admittedly, I, I try not to listen to myself a whole lot, you know, um, and, and when I do, I just plug into the YouTube. Um, but, you know, I know that there's a Spotify um, podcast available and that has mostly, it has all of our sermons, but every once in a while we'll throw in an additional podcast or something as well. And it's all there. So, um, you know, feel free to check those out and, um, you know, you could visit us. I mean, we're at 11, 11 o'clock at East Falls. Actually this Sunday we're worshiping at four o'clock, um, for, because of marathons, it's the marathon. It runs right through our, our area. Okay. So on on November 20th, we're worshiping at 4 PM, but we're typically in East Falls at 11, 11 in the morning or Cherry Hill at 4 PM. Got it. All right. Well, Donnie, thank you so much. This is always uh, it's a long overdue, by the way. <laughs> no, and I, yeah. I, I, I really appreciate your generosity, yeah. and um, just, just, I just know that you're always a giving person, um, and uh, um, I know that you value highly value friendship um, and character people. So, mm-hmm. hey, anytime I can get have a chance to sit for with you for an hour and chat about life is always a good thing. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you so much. It's a blessing. All right, Donnie, take care. Take care. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye.